Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Good morning. I don't know if I said I'm Chris. Have I said I'm Chris? I'm, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to, to share today. And I want to start with the some some song a song i've been thinking about you may be an ambassador to england or to france you may like to gamble and you may like to dance you may be the heavyweight champion of the world you might be a socialite with a long string of pearls but you're gonna have to serve somebody you're gonna have to serve somebody well it may be the devil or it may be the lord but you're gonna have to serve someone now, those are the words of the great American poet, uh, Robert Zimmerman, also known as Bob Dylan, uh, from his 1979 album, Slow Train Coming. And it was the first of his trio of albums uh, exploring faith after his 1978 born-again experience. And uh, for the first couple of years after his conversion, he refused to play any of his old songs. He's like, I, I want to get these songs to be part of me. And uh, there's some good words. It's a really long song because his songs are long. But... So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, the next verse is, you might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage, money, drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Um, so this was the first song on that first album got to serve somebody. And it rattled some people. Uh, John Lennon of the Beatles, he, he actually called the song an embarrassment. And uh, he wrote a song in response, uh, Serve Yourself. And uh, how, however off-putting and unpopular uh, this song was to many of his old fans, it really does capture a truth that there are larger spiritual agents at, world, at work in this world and in our lives. And we're bound to these things whether we know it or not. Uh, this is the last of our series of covenant affirmations, the common agreements of our denominations, the things that make us us um, as, well, as a church. And they are, we affirm the centrality of the word of God. We affirm the necessity of new birth. We affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. We affirm the church as a fellowship of believers. We affirm a conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And our last affirmation, the one that we're talking about today, we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ. And uh, now in America, we are obsessed with the idea of freedom. We really like freedom. Uh, we, we call ourselves a free country, um, right? We often call our country the land of the free, the home of the brave. Uh, we speak about our re revolt from Britain you know, about freedom from King George's tyranny. Um, even in recent history, uh, so whenever during the uh, Iraq war, whenever we were overthrowing Saddam Hussein and uh, President George Bush was notified, it was during a meeting, and he wrote on a napkin, let freedom reign, and he underlined it, and they, they made a big photo op with it. Um, so we love freedom. We love that idea. And we think that being free, freedom means independence, not being bound to anything. 
right? Able to make one's own choices without coercion or without influence, without anything. And that would agree to a point. But I would say that freedom isn't necessarily the same as independence. Uh, because you not can't, there's some things you just can't be independent of, right? You can't be independent, um, like from the laws of gravity. You can't be independent from the laws of gravity. You can't declare freedom from gravity, right? Gravity is it's just part of the structure of the universe. It's part of the way things work. And, and, and then Bob Dylan's song, right? He puts God and the devil, he puts those in those categories, like gravity. Something you can never be independent of. You'll always serve something. Um, because if you're walking, if you walk, you're always going in a direction, right? You're never not going in a direction. You're always going somewhere when you're walking. You're headed somewhere. And intentionally or not, we're always heading towards something. And so when we say uh, the reality of freedom of Christ, it doesn't mean everything goes. Because we're always walking somewhere. The things that we do and how we do them matter. We're always under the authority of a higher power. Right? As Bob Dylan says, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And so what do we say? What do we mean when we say freedom in Christ? Um, well, I can get really abstract with this, but I'm going to try to be concrete. So I did lists. And so we're going to look at three things that we're free from and three things that we're free to. Okay, three things that you're free from and free th three things that we're free to. And this isn't an exhaustive, um, you can do a lot. Actually, the Covenant, have, for the last couple of years, they've been working on like a resource paper that kind of really lays out the theological implications of this. And it's not out yet. It would have really helped with the sermon. But, um, so maybe next year, I think it's going to be released in the next couple of years. I might have to revise this based on what that says. But, so, so the number one thing that you're free from. In Christ, you're free from the bondage of sin. This is Romans 6, 6. This is what we know, that the person we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because the person who has died has been freed from sin's power. Now sin, um, just the refresher, is anything in thought, word, or deed that is contrary to the will of God. And in Christ, we are free from the power of sin. Sin keeps us away from God. It's a turning away from God, from the source of love, from the source of joy, from the source of peace, from the one in which whom there's hope and wholeness and healing. Sin keeps us away from that. Sin keeps us away from God. But in Christ, we have died to sin. That means if you give yourself over to Christ, if you choose to follow him and love him and serve him, um, the self that belonged to sin, the self that was enslaved to sin is dead. The power of sin is broken because God's love is greater than sin. God's grace and God's forgiveness is greater than sin. Sin cannot stand the presence of God. Right? So freedom in Christ means that we're no longer bound to sin. That we are free from sin. We are free in Christ's name. So that's the first thing. First thing we're free from. The second thing we're free from. We're free from accusation. In Christ, we are free from accusation. We are free from blame. Remember, um, Satan's name means accuser. I say that all the time. And that's how sin first entered into the world, right? We believe Satan's accusation against God, right? In the garden, in Genesis 1, or sorry, Genesis 3. Um, so we doubted. Satan planted the seed of doubt of God's goodness and truth. And that we went against how we were created. 
And those accusations, they've kept us in bondage and we're caught in cycles of shame and of blame. I mean, really, if something goes wrong, what's the first thing we think of? Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Who did that? Who's to blame? Uh, I can remember once whenever I was a kid um, on the school bus and uh, someone threw a large rubber spider in the back of the bus and, uh, you know, where the popular kids were and everything. And they all screamed and jumped up, ah, because, you know, the big spider. And uh, most of them afterwards, they figured out, oh, it's just a plastic spider. You know, they all just laughed it off. But one kid, one kid couldn't laugh it off. And, you know, because he was embarrassed by the way he reacted. He was embarrassed by the way he jumped. And so when everyone laughed, he felt it was like an accusation of cowardice and weakness. And he was ashamed of it. Right? And so he started yelling, who threw that? Who threw that? Now, really, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was something funny, harmless. It wasn't me. I didn't throw it. But it was the person sitting next to me. Uh, he, uh, but the, the, that kid, he felt shame about being weak. Um, and, 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 and so what did he do? He looked for somebody else to blame. No, no, it wasn't me. It was them. They did this. And honestly, whenever he found out who threw the spider, there was violence. He, he got into a fight. Accusations destroy us. They destroy our relationships. They destroy harmony, right? Accusation is, is Satan, right? Satan's the accuser. But Christ destroys accusations. He breaks the power of the accuser. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Once you were alienated from God and enemies with him in your own minds, which was shown to you by your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. Holy, faultless, and without blame. There is no accusation for those in Christ Jesus. We are free from accusations and from the accusers. Amen? Is that nice? Is that good? Because Christ answers every accusation. Christ removes any blame. Christ covers every shame. And there's freedom in Christ from accusation, from blame, from shame. Amen. And, and those first two things, those are bad things. But this last one, this is something good that we're free from. In Christ, we're free from the law. Now, by the law, I meant the Old Testament commandments that define the people of Israel. The law is meant to keep Israel distinct as a people. As a people chosen by God, to enact his redemptive purposes in the world. So everything in Israel was designed to point towards God and his distinct holiness. And those are big things like, like how the government was to be structured and rules on marriage and, and, and things like that. But there's also the days and things in our daily life, right? Because So they were told, um, don't blend different kinds of cloth together for your clothes because God's one. So wear clothing that only comes from one source, right? Because God is one. So your clothes point to God. And don't eat food with any blood in it, because blood is life, and life belongs to God. So make sure you're not taking that which belongs to God. Or don't touch dead things or sick things, because God's life and health. So keep those things outside of the community. So your community will be full of life and health like God. And, and it's, so it's a good thing that like the community was all designed to reflect God's character. That's a good thing. It was a good thing because it was point, designed to point to something. But then Christ came as the fulfillment of the law and the rules and the systems that were set to point to God, to a God that was, 
that God is now present in the world with the people. So there's no longer any need for the law to function as a marker of God's presence. We have Christ himself in us. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fulfillment of the time came, God sent his son born from a woman under the law. But this was so he could redeem those from under the law so that we could be adopted. The law was good and it served its purpose. And, and it could still exist as a cultural marker. Right? So just as marks of your culture, like, oh yeah, yeah, we grew up, we don't, we didn't, don't really eat those things. But it no longer signifies God's grace to a people. Okay, and that's something that the early church had to had to wrestle with because they're like, well, uh, which rules should other people, people that are outside of our, our tribe, what, what rules do they need to follow? They, they had to disentangle God's grace found in Christ from the culture that carried God's grace to us. I mean, and we still have to do that, right? We still have to do that today. Uh, missions and evangelism quickly turns to, uh, to colonism if missionaries do not uh, separate their cultural traditions and beliefs from the grace of God, we still have to do that. We still have to do that. But in Christ, we are free from the law and we're brought into relationship with the triune God. So those are the three things that we're free from. But we're also free to do things. So these are things that we're free to do. We're free to submit to the Lordship of Christ. We're no longer under the tyranny of sin, but instead we could submit to the loving reign of God because everybody serves something. Everybody walks somewhere. Everybody's headed in some direction. And in Christ, we're free to walk into the kingdom of God. Romans 6, 17 through 18. Thank God, that although you used to be slaves of sin, you gave wholehearted obedience to a teaching that was handed on to you, which provides a pattern now you have been set free from sin. You have become slaves of righteousness. I love that. Slaves of righteousness. Rightness. The way things ought to be. Good, cared for, valued, treasured, flourishing. That's the kingdom. Love, health, wholeness. We're not saved to, from sin to be left to, to wander alone out in the wilderness. Right? We wouldn't survive. We're saved from sin so that we can enter into the kingdom of God where we're free to submit to God's love and God's grace. And the second thing that we're free to do is we're free to participate in the body of Christ. We're free to belong to a people. Sin isolates. Sin destroys relationships. But freedom allows for community, right? And this is some, a bit longer than uh, some of the passages I shared, but um, I've been sharing this a lot. Uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 so remember that you were once Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by the Jews who are physically circumcised. But at that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both the Jews and the Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one person out of two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. We're free to participate as joint heirs in the body of Christ. Everyone 
of us, every one of us, is fully able to participate in God's family. There's no partiality. It doesn't matter what race you are. And it doesn't matter uh, what ethnic group you come from. It doesn't matter if you're a girl or if you're a guy. It doesn't matter if you're highly educated. It doesn't matter if you're, you're uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you live in a big house or it doesn't matter if you live in no house, right? It doesn't matter that if you're, if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the city. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the village. It doesn't matter if you struggle with mental health. It doesn't matter if you struggle with physical limitations. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you can walk. It doesn't matter if you need a wheelchair. There is no partiality in Christ. We are all valued members of his bodies, co-heirs, full participants. And God has created one people through the cross of Christ ending the dividing walls of hostility which surround people. We were made to be one, to be unified, and anything that tries to separate the body from the body acts against the freedom that Christ has made real. We're free to participate in the body of Christ. We're free to join together. And the third thing, we're free to help one another. We're free to help one another, to lead one another in freedom in Christ. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. You are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. The covenant church, it believes in freedom, but that doesn't mean independence from God's goodness. It means allowing yourself to be freed from all the things that keep you from God's love. Church, there is freedom in Christ from blame and shame. There is freedom to live in the kingdom of God. Serving the God of love, kindness, and goodness. There is freedom in Christ from the accuser and accusations that isolate us and keep us alienated from one another and ourselves. There's freedom in Christ to join the loving community where there's no hierarchy, where no one is better or more important than anyone else, where we can be fully known and participate as the person that we are meant to be in the body of Christ. There is freedom in Christ from the laws and expectations of religion, trying to negotiate the finer points of rules to decide what's permissible and what's not. There's freedom from trying to measure up to something that's impossible to fully measure up to. There's freedom to live for one another, to help one another to be set free from the laws that hold them back and that keep them from life. That's what we believe. That's what we believe here, that there's freedom. In the cross, there's freedom in Christ. And so, we celebrate that. right? This is our last affirmation. We celebrate that we live in freedom. That all those other affirmations reflect this. That we belong to God and we are free to love Him. All the things that keep us back has been set aside. So that we can fully engage, fully serve. And fully be part of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your graciousness, for your kindness. Lord, I pray that that we can recognize your freedom, that we can live into your freedom, that we can embrace it, that we can step into it, that we can continue to walk um, in freedom to you, 
And Lord, I pray that if uh, any of us that are struggling, Lord, any of us that struggle with accusations, any of us that struggle with participation, any of us that struggle with the things that we feel like we should do, Lord, I pray that we be set free so that we can fully embrace you. Lord, I pray that everything that hinders a relationship with you be set aside so that we can fully embrace who you are and to be fully known by you and by one another. In Christ's name, amen.